I can jump a hurdle. I can wear a girdle. I can knit a sweater. I can fill it better. I can do most anything. Can you make a pie? No. Neither can I. Any note you can sing, I can sing sweeter. I can sing anything sweeter than you. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the ninth episode of Material Analysis, the podcast. This is your host, Chandu. And today's episode is called Hashtag Represent. In this episode, we uh, and practically all of the panel is here. Uh, we have Comrade Jasmine. We have Comrade Dilip. We have Comrade Pinky. And we have Comrade Bella. We all are going to be discussing the pertinent topic of representational politics and how it has been done by various movements in India. So, uh, Comrade Bella, do you want to start off? Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, partly, I feel like we wanted to have this conversation as a group because several of us on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media more broadly are always sort of uh, witnessing this very liberal discourse about how, uh, you know, uh, representational politics plays out very much communities uh, or you know minority groups sometimes women uh, are always sort of very happy when they see uh, any kind of representation like sort of the bare minimum lowest common denominator representation uh, in popular media in in actual sort of cinema or um, in political representation even right we saw some of this discussion come about when um, you know the the number of women that the Modi cabinet had for instance and so I feel like there's um, if, if you're on the left spectrum anywhere, but particularly if you're on the further end of the spectrum, uh, representational politics has really just become this empty sort of catchphrase uh, to replace any kind of transformative structural change. Uh, and so I'm really sort of interested in parsing out what the left should do with representation. Uh, and I would I would love to hear your thoughts about it. But my my thoughts are that, you know, some of it is good, but it can't be the whole soul demand of your politics. Uh, does do, do other people have thoughts on that? How about you go next, uh, Comrade Jasmine? One thing I wanted to say is about uh, when people demand that there be representation in the left, I don't think they're very clear about what they mean. So, uh, if, if you are trying to say that uh, there should be representation in the struggles and the people who are leading the struggles, that's already true, right? So, if, even if we talk about just women's representation, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're looking at a struggle like Tibhaga or like the Wadli struggle or something like that, uh, the leaders were predominantly women. Mm -hmm. uh, in the fights against Khap Panchayat, the leaders have predominantly been women. Mm -hmm. And um, everywhere there's a big struggle, there are women leaders. So uh, if you are asking for representation at, at the front lines, on the front lines, it's already there. Mm. If you think there is, uh, there are some, you know, very comfortable positions within the left that women should occupy, uh, I don't think those positions really exist, even like in politburos or whatever, those are not extremely comfortable jobs that you earn, right? Mm. So, uh, I don't think people are really clear about what they mean when they sermonize that the left should do more representation because it already is doing that. And um, in other institutions, and when people are praising representation 
I am again not sure what they want. Do they want more women in a right wing party? Do they want more women in the army? It's uh, it's really confusing actually, which is my polite way of saying they don't have coherent politics. Hmm. No, I think this is an important point because uh, the way representation is looked at in India, at least in the mass media, is a very liberal way of looking at it. So when a liberal is haranguing the left for not having enough representation, what they mean is that you didn't have enough people of blood demographic in the Politburo, because for some reason they think that is how the left operates, and. i think that shows a lot about uh, how the liberal sort of imagine representation and we should be discussing a bit about why that is weak a very sort of uh, like before going into uh, the history of how representation politics has been done in india i think one example which is like close to all of our uh, attention and our irritation is this discourse around what is called manels and i really want to know the sentiments of all of you comrade pinky why don't you go on the topic of the liberal discourse around manels so i'm aware that the the group that we have here today doesn't necessarily share the the liberal um let's say the liberal abhorrence of manels or at least it is developed its own kind of recoil to the manel discourse which i think has happened for a reason which is that uh, to go off what comrade jasmine was saying that there is very often not a discussion of the actual ideas or the urgency of the conversation or the stakes of the conversation as much as all people want to look at is an array of faces and they want to come to a conclusion about the conversation just on the basis of that and there's also not enough uh, real investigation as to why these people were chosen what makes them the best representatives of a certain conversation uh, a lot of the time people look at you know a, a panel with a whole bunch of men and that's the only thing that they see about that entire conversation so i remember once for example uh, there was something about Uh, there was a discussion in kashmir that was about some issue that was pretty serious and uh, everybody on that panel were men and that was really not the greatest time to just go oh this is a manel um because obviously this is an uh, an issue that isn't talked about much anyway and just the fact that a critical conversation was happening was kind of side railed and it's a lazy engagement right where people don't want to look at more particular um, and did any of the sorry, did uh, sorry i was going to say did any of those men on that panel actually have Have a, was there a diversity of opinions on Kashmir? Were any of them Kashmiri men? You know, uh, yes. Uh, yes. I, I I'm pretty sure that a large portion of them were Kashmiri men. Uh, but I will say this: that the reason that I'm not entirely opposed to the coinage. I mean, it's a little bit like mansplaining, which has also become an overused and overused mm, term. I agree. but at the same time it's a it's a sort of shorthand for a problem that we all recognize which is the fact that uh, not enough effort is made to figure out whether there are women 
who would be equally good representatives people all people have their um go tos they there are some faces that immediately float up in front of you know their eyes when they imagine like who could be talking about this and they kind of just uh succumb to that option without wondering as to what would change and what what lines would shift if we were to actually make the effort of bringing women into this and the point is that we can then have a debate about whether those women are really adding to the conversation or not but i think the problem is that if we are not even going there then we can't even have that conversation so i think that having manners too can become its own kind of laziness where you're comfortable with a certain set of personalities and faces that are available and uh, it's like saying that uh, you know they're not the only ones we all know that but then why does it always come around to the same thing and why do we also seem to have this failure of the imagination on both ends right where we can't seem to go beyond the the predominance of the manner either which i think is a question this is very true this is true because uh, men also find it naturally easier to be more confident and say things right and with women you have to push a little bit more on average Right, and, and be taken so seriously too. And yeah, exactly. And so it's important to put an extra effort to have women speak at uh, you know events and have women's work be visible. But uh, also, I remember uh, it, one incident where people were demanding that there should be more women in the World Bank, and uh, I just feel like it's fine. You know, we want more diverse. oppressors is something we keep saying it's about even you know as a feminist where you concentrate your energies do you really want to be talking about women in elite places forget that is the world bank forget that is responsible for so much you know plunder mm-hmm. it's just elite you know even by that notion is that where you want to be focusing the limited very limited energies that you have as feminists Um so I was going to say that I once had a colleague who basically said that uh, upper management has no gender and I actually really like that line because uh, whatever sort of diversity hire you make uh, who takes pl- who takes a sort of position in upper management really becomes the face of the corporation in a way um that is simply meant to neutralize the power of the corporation and capitalism right and I think that that's something that um it's really sat on me it's not that I I I think that you know someone like a woman making it is completely irrelevant or someone who's gay or someone who's a minority a racial minority or a caste minority or whatever that is um but i do think that it becomes very important to then sort of look at what sort of ideology they stand for uh, and what sort of labor they're doing in whether it's a it's management level labor right uh, or and to what level uh, they they are able to sort of transform structural issues within the corporation and and my my experience is they very often can't um that their presence there does very little to actually improve the lot of uh, minorities including the ones that they com- the including the identity that they themselves might be holding right so that's that so uh, like there is this whole problem of uh, uh, sort of fetishizing the existence of representation as an alternative to politics itself that is what i have seen that it's not just about wanting to have diverse oppressors wanting to have uh, uh, marginalized ceos or whatever but sometimes this goes to a ridiculous extent till the whole conversation around manel becomes a politics in and of itself like what we have seen a lot in social media is that people wanting representation inside an obviously right wing or fascist conference this has happened multiple times and we have seen that in india where you have a a conference been organized by the sang and you have these uh, uh, 
pop feminists who are shouting about where are the women and that to me it's like way beyond like wanting diverse ceos or something here are people who have a supremacist ideology which wants an extermination of your political existence if not your physical existence and you want representation in that conference to me that is not just puerile that is that's disgusting actually so kamit so. chandu i was thinking yeah and i completely agree that uh, that is absolutely messed up and i i like what kamit jasmine said about the fact that we have limited energy and i think we can't stress that enough the fact that we're working with resources and that uh, you know everything we do is a sort of utilization of a resource in that sense so where we're choosing to spend our you know how where one evening goes or where uh, the a tremendous amount of brain space goes i think definitely as as calculating as that sound is important but i think that where are the men in these rss spaces or whatever unfortunately has become this um, crude default uh, question that comes out of another impulse which i think is people believe that one way of showing up the right wing and exposing them is to show that they don't care enough about these things because in the past like that is one area in which we've been able to sort of get them right or to show that yeah the right wing has never cared about women they have never cared about minorities and it's and i think one criticism that even now people keep making is yeah even if the bjp or other parties are uh, reaching out towards representation there is still some there is still definitely a sort of uh, blocked horizon of possibility like in terms of they can't go beyond a certain point yeah, I, I, think- I, like i think here an important difference has to be made that you have part of the establishment which is like the, the normative establishment which has some utility in sort of farcical shows of representation in which it sells those as as a commodity but then yeah. you have fascists who literally don't care about what you think and all they care about yeah. is power so. yeah but of course right. but i don't um, think that their aim is to get more women in the rss either i think they're trying to say that there is something messed up about the room full of men you know constantly pontificating about women's issues and about morality and things like that and there is something there is something sinister and there is something absurd about that but obviously i mean i'm heading towards a point where if we're thinking about strategy and we're thinking about the worth of politics can we think about representation as more than just optics because i think that obviously right now the big problem is that it is it is that it is just about saying that oh we don't want to look bad and uh, you know we're just appeasing these little sentiments so yeah if this is what the woke woke circles want to see this is what we give them but can we talk about the possibility of certain communities being present as itself an effective political strategy as different from just uh, optics or appeasement and is could we have a different vision or understanding of what representation does and do we have we seen efforts towards that perhaps comrade dilip you had something to say yeah. so i think like before we go into the optics of representation i mean like i understand the impulse for the uh, from uh, i mean like not all of it there is uh, i mean like the cynical part by understand like there is the impulse of representation of politics as well right so it's the white supremacy is pervasive brahmanism is all over in academic space and in real life and so is patriarchy so i understand the uh, impulse of it but if you if you just take like literally um, how the representation of politics is played out you cannot have a 
true representational politics even in the way that they want inside a capitalist or a neoliberal space you can either have like we you have the top 1% which is filled with uh, x amount of people and the 99% stays the, stays the same or like a different way of representation for instance if you actually take the uh, uh, issue of debate of representation in public sector jobs mm. it's often that you 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 get a lot of talk about how uh, representation is pathetic in pu- uh, public sector i mean it's it's true and it's horrifying so you have all these you know like transgression of dignity resulting in death uh, from casteism and so on and so forth but we are talking about 6% of uh, indian jobs being in the organized sex- sector and it's like 65% of that is uh, public sector jobs and it's mm-hmm. constantly diminishing so mm-hmm. when you are under a, a neoliberal system which is consistently attacking and assaulting like uh, you know uh, uh, labor the, the, it it the, it really falls short you are a- asking for representation inside spaces which are going extinct mm-hmm. so if if you want to expand on it you just have to the first and foremost thing that you have to tackle is capitalism it's it's like representation is imperative i understand but i mean when you uh, when you completely miss the aspect of class when you completely miss the aspect of capitalism that's where it becomes sheer politics of optics and completely fraudulent mm-hmm. and the second thing is the representation uh, the um, you know the optics of representation in say insane fascist spaces which is mostly the the rhetoric from you know the 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 uh, it's it's mostly from the military based stuffs mm. like we have a defense uh, women defense minister like israel's military uh, you know pink washing itself and so on and so forth you have to talk about space there are like legit spaces for representation there is a legit conversation to be had and we can have disagreements and there are fascist spaces and if it comes to fascism like, we have to draw a hard line it's as simple as that like if it is fascist and if you are if you think you are going to get anything out of fascist you may as well start haranguing for representation at the wansi conference where it was decided how best the jews are to be exterminated was it a representative conference i don't know i don't care so moving on from that um we have to discuss i think the large bit of uh, indian politics around representation comes from the mandal and the post mandal phenomena and uh Uh, comrade bella do you want to start talking about mandal what happened and what was the social consequences of that um so i mean the the history of mandal is is fairly well known right uh, the morarji desai government actually set it up um in in i think 1979 if i remember correctly um to really sort of identify uh, you know what what representation was like in the public sector and whether there were actually groups that were simply not being uh, not being given any kind of uh, leg up so to speak um and so the mandal commission was set up uh, it was chaired by um by someone called bp mandal that was what why it was called as commission um and they came up with a set of recommendations basically within a year very quickly um that identified that you know uh, while lower caste representation was broadly just not there obc representation in particular was astonishingly bad and so they made a set of recommendations that required uh, public sector officers to actually uh, keep 27% quota for obcs right um and so the that that raised overall reservation quotas to about just under 
under 50%. Um, and, and actually, this was not implemented immediately because, of course, um, Indira Gandhi was, quote-unquote, in power then. Um, and, and, and so a lot of other stuff was going on. But about 10 years later, it took VP Singh, who was the prime minister at the time, uh, to actually implement it. And of course, this was met with sort of tremendous hate uh, and, and resentment uh, by many upper castes who were in public universities, public employment at the time, uh, who felt like their jobs, their seats in colleges, um, their positions within uh, government, you know, schools and banks and so on would be taken up or stolen by people who were basically, uh, quote unquote, without merit, right? And that's when the whole sort of merit debate really explodes. Um, and, and soon after, India kind of, you know, has this whole neoliberal moment which a lot of Ambedkarites I speak to actually tie the two very intimately together. You know, the, the welcoming of the neoliberal moment is actually a sort of expression of the resentment they had about reservations. Uh, and so th from there on, you see representational politics in India take on some really ugly rhetoric, a really sort of ugly battle of, you know, these quota wale and all these slurs being, uh, you know, lobbied at, at uh, you know, OBCs and Dalits and Adivasis entering uh, colleges for the first time. The second implementation, second wave implementation of Mandal obviously happens in 2006. And again, there are protests, right? And what you're actually seeing today, many of the uh, Ambedkaris I speak to actually talk about that second wave being very crucial to to the sort of, you know, uh, the 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 a class of Dalits and OBCs who are finally able to enter the middle class, become educated um, and get jobs that are not, you know, the, the caste, hereditary caste professions and so on. And so reservation becomes very important um, in sort of seeing a little bit of emancipation come out, you know, in the, in the last two decades, particularly with the onslaught of capitalism. Um, but that's meant, met with this tremendous backlash. I mean, everything from, you know, from Rohit Vemula to uh, the Dr. Payal Tarvi, you know, you have, you have, this constantly keeps coming up um, in terms of what Dalits, what Adivasis, what OBC groups actually face when they, when they enter the public sector. And so um, Mandal has a real hold on representational debates in India. I think we can't, I mean, as much as we're talking about women's representation, that also then gets you know folded into the uh, women's reservation question within Mandal and so on. So it's 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 a very interesting and and very sort of fraught landscape for uh, debating reservations. I just want to say after what you said mm -hmm. uh, that we I mean we have a whole episode on representation, but that doesn't mean that every kind of representation on every basis uh, can have the same analysis. And mm -hmm. I think that. Uh, caste representation, uh, our positions on those have to be very different from our positions on gender representation. For example. Right. Um, because, I mean, I know it still has to be said, but unironically, reservations are a good thing and yes. they should exist. So, uh, I mean, I just don't want anyone to go home thinking that we believe that uh, caste-based representation everywhere is a bad idea. Yeah. No, we don't. I think we're all in agreement that it is, in fact, very important and urgent and necessary, even in the current um, moment in India. I, I think since we're agreeing on that, it might be good to actually, as basic as it sounds, to kind of spell out why. Because I think that intuitively we recognize that some claims for representation are shallow and then some are not. So if we can actually positively spell out what we're getting from caste-based representation, uh, I think that would be helpful. And uh, just, you know, be before someone kind of jumps in with the answer for that, uh, the other thing I was thinking is, uh, 
and this maybe isn't what what reservation usually is but if you if we can think about representation as not something that it, that the authorities are always handing out to us but it's a matter of the people who are most affected by a certain issue being present uh in crucial conversations around that issue like if we can think of it as that as well rather than just um a thing that has been enabled by a top down flow like maybe keeping those two things in mind if somebody wants to answer i think the first part of the thing that our positions of at different kind of representations have to be different i think uh, another nuance has to be made here that we are not even opposed to say representation for gender the earlier question on manel was about a very small segment of class stratified people a very small section of the bourgeoisie which is fighting for representation in in organizations and panels which are pretty much the levers of power and often reactionary and at sometimes fascist so that is a different question from saying should there be gender representation which is a much larger question of course now com- coming to the point about why are caste based representation good is because unlike the previous thing we handled it's not a small elite thing it's a like caste is pervasive completely throughout indian society and ha- has a material root in it so when you are doing representation there you are in a sense attacking structural uh, forces which are perpetuating that uh, inequality of course it uh, like whether you are a marxist or an ambedkarite it will differ how you analyze caste but no matter where you stand on your analysis of caste you will have to agree that representation in some manner dismantles the sort of perpetuating equality which caste produces so also i think you need caste based uh, reservations because caste is specifically a system of social exclusion as well and it forces social inclusion in this system and that's why you need it so gender is not so much based entirely on social exclusion that's why they're different yeah and i also gender, yeah go ahead I was going to say um I I find it very important to also distinguish what representation is doing if you're literally only adding a voice to the discourse and that is the scope of your representational politics there is there are always it, it's going to be a supremely limited uh, kind of empowerment that we're talking about because even if we talk about say manels becoming what what is the word feminels first quote unquote <laughs> the fact that um, a, a a panel of any sort is producing knowledge and discourse that is still controlled by organizational authorities who are upper caste male you know upper middle class or upper classes and so on is supremely important because who produces that knowledge even when it is you know it in, involves other voices does not end up disrupting uh, structure so when we say that reservations becomes important it's because essentially your your i don't use what essentially but you're you're fundamentally transforming who gets to enter the workforce who gets to go who has upward mobility who has access to public sector employment and job security and so on and there is an economic aspect to that but there is also very much uh, an aspect of material power relations that's being transformed um, and so for me when the moment you talk about material reality is being transformed by represent representation then i don't think there's as a leftist at least i don't think we'll disagree that representation becomes very important it's purely this whole optics and the voice on the panel and the need for diversity when the conversation goes entirely around that and does not really challenge as as comrade dilip said the 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 powers that be right um the powers that structure capital and labor mainly that for me is 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 where we have to roll our eyes and say come on like get real you know it's not going to happen the usual casteist uh, you know uh, anti reservationary rhetoric 
is 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 just not rhetoric it's pretty toxic and we know like just by examples of what uh, bjp is doing now with 10% agws quota or by historical examples where like there are typical brahmin domination where they have uh, absolutely cheated the system and then they have stopped uh, uh, obc and dalit people and adivasis entering the system it's 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 like uh, caste exists everywhere and it's institutionally uh, preserved so that the spaces are brahminical so reservation makes a dent in that there is no denial that reservation makes a dent in that but like uh, it's it's not the be all and the end of end all of it because so many people make it to be a panacea and it's particularly the political outfits make it to be a panacea so that they can keep perpetuating the uh, neoliberal system for instance like i remember uh, an arundhati woman uh, who was uh, elected for panchayat in tamil nadu krishnaveni she did really an outstanding job she received a lot of awards and and, and i mean like it, it is good that uh, we had reservations so that uh, krishnaveni can do her job but then it doesn't negate the structural propensities on violence towards arundhati uh, people especially arundhati women because she was assaulted for what uh, she was you know like because she uh, stood and challenged the system materially and uh, socially and otherwise so it, it doesn't change the fabric of it there are still like structural challenges of casteism that is deeply rooted and the other thing is that it's it's the it's just not the optics it's so clever that uh, that they think that and they can just wash so many things away for instance like uh, 25% of reservation for economically backward and rural people inside uh, education through rte act uh, we, we we have to you know like there are uh, you know uh, dalit marxists to seriously critique these things and we have to take these things very seriously because like it is an eye wash because if you think about it you can give 25% of uh, you know reservation inside these seats and not even implement it and even if you implement it rampant privatization keeps people away from education keeps people mm-hmm. you know like this is like uh, creating an optic that optics that people can have space while mm-hmm. you know working deeply towards uh, uh, making sure that they don't actually have those spaces and keeping on this rhetoric uh, again and again as if like you know like we have now 25% here we have uh, 15% there and then you you keep saying it everywhere and then you see that the privatization is so rampant that you have created a class system and a caste system within through privatization and then you you actually have a caste system and then you preserve it uh, through uh, rampant privatization if you ask me to structurally dismantle caste we we have to look into the material reality and the numbers the uh, like we have like all the almost like 90 percentage of wealth uh, uh, in, you know like completely holden up in lands and buildings and like the uh, you know the dalit struggles for the land redistribution movement those are significant and those are real and people who do this completely know what they are talking about when they ask for you know like uh, land redistribution they they understand where actually the material wealth lies and and to ask for the fair share and though how how does how do those movements which are, which were prominent throughout history got completely whitewashed or completely you know like suppressed by the state uh, to this day those are really salient questions one has to ask and move beyond uh, you know like not just not just negate the fact that we we are brahmanical uh, in and out but just to say that if you want to move truly beyond beyond brahmanism you have to attack uh, you know the system of uh, material holdings in so many different ways so that you dismantle casteism it's it's like those those movements of dalits historically and uh, and bahujans historically about a uh, land dis- redistribution and so on and so forth they are they they have a significant role to play in dismantling casteism
So as Comrade Chandu was saying earlier about the fact that uh, the main grouse that we started off with was asking for representation within fascist spaces. Um, I mean, that could, I mean, that could very well be something that uh, happens with caste as well. I've just not to say again, like, because I think all of you have emphasized very well how because caste is a material uh, and systemic uh, sort of structure of exclusion and stratification, wherever that material structure is dented and disoriented is, is some kind of material advancement, no matter what. But then I think in that sense, fascist spaces can also claim to have caste representation. So there's that too. And uh, as Comrade Dilip was saying that uh, there are other ways in which uh, in, in which uh, advancement or, uh, you know, material advancement even uh, needs to be made. And representation isn't just going to be the panacea to that for sure. Uh, and I was also thinking, and of course, Part of it, what, what's coming back again and again is that unless you're actually changing uh, capitalist structures, anything that you do, whether it's uh, reservation, representation, can always sort of be weakened simply because the, the methods of execution, like the mechanisms and infrastructure that exist are capitalist. So they obviously exist to kind of weaken the potency of that anyway. Uh, but I was also thinking of uh, this distinction we've been making between caste and gender and how with gender, uh, just to say that the presence of a woman does something is not as easy because the exclusion ha has not been kind of that kind of concerted material uh, mechanism the same way that we've seen seen with caste. So you know it's easier for us to understand what caste reservation what reservation does with caste, which it doesn't quite do with gender in the same way. But part of the thing that I'm struggling with is that when it comes to feminist causes, um, some of the problem has been precisely a certain devaluing of women's knowledge and women's issues, um, a certain sidelining of it as not as urgent. Uh, you know, this has happened in previous sort of important movements too, where when women wanted to, during the independence movement, even when they wanted to focus on specific issues, it was often seen as sort of in some way derailing um, uh, the 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 main cause right or the national cause and things like that it happened with Gandhi's movement too from what I can remember so uh, in that sense when there is a subtle often devaluation of women's presence in movements that um, that you know that is not as material um, how can we think about changing that without it always seeming like this corny liberal thing like we're just thinking of adding one more face and one more voice to the conversation. Um, I think that's a great question because, uh, you know, I think there's a difference between you actually doing revolutionary politics or, you know, radical politics, if you will, and then asking for women's representation there and, yeah. uh, you know, just being a feminist. I mm -hmm. mean, I feel like to be just a feminist is a very easy position to take, actually, having that be the entirety of your politics. And nowadays people, you know, half-heartedly add some intersectionality on top. So, you know, they, they'll just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we also understand the struggles of Dalit women. Mm. But there's no, like, holistic understanding of systems or anything like that. And there's no looking at the roots of oppression. So if you are just a feminist and that's the pivot of your politics, so to speak, you'll end up only talking about uh, sexual violence, that also you'll only talk about at a surface level. You won't look at the roots of why that exists. You'll, you know, at the most you'll hate on men and you'll think the solution is a magic shaming of all men. 
which mm-hmm. i don't think is necessarily a bad idea but you know uh, <laughs> that can't be the crux of your politics and mm-hmm. you will encounter thorny questions but then you'll stop at saying that they are thorny and you know you'll be very happy oh, i found a complex paradox mm-hmm. and uh, i just think to be a feminist you need social and economic analysis that is broader than gender which is not to say that gender is not interwoven into everything but uh, it's also not the same as saying men are trash in every field and that's all we see right so oh, yeah. it's important to recognize for example peace rate garment workers public service workers like asha workers women in prison agricultural workers all these women workers uh, and a woman in a venture capital firm or a woman in a right wing party uh, there's a class antagonism between these women mm-hmm. and uh that's an important thing and that's that's actually the final thing right it doesn't matter then that the person on the other side is a woman uh or that you know she is maybe humanizing her horrible party that wants to kill everybody mm-hmm. uh, so i think uh, i think clara zetkin had some really nice things to say about this nice in the sense they were very uh, you know <laughs> she she just said that uh, socialist women opposed strongly the bourgeois women writers credo women writers as in women who were fighting for suffrage at the time mm-hmm. uh, credo that the women of all classes must gather into an unpolitical neutral movement striving exclusively for women's rights and you know she goes on to say that uh, the fight for women's rights is not a fight in itself it's just one of the ways in which we uh, struggle for a revolutionary aim which is the socialistic order and i think it's very important for us to keep that in mind because to be just a feminist you end up in all these very uncomfortable positions totally one very cynical route which i have seen neoliberals often use these days is that they will say something like our diversity is important for you to make more profit or something like that and naturally the fascists would pounce on it and say no you are wrong you can make more profit being less diverse and being more pandering to whatever monopoly you are using so i i find that a very ridiculous conversation because that was never the point of representation anyway and like like it centers profiteering i find it really weird but people do have that conversation if people want to like add some points on that angle people also use that rhetoric for immigration too i've i've realized where they talk about how you know migrants are profitable yes, and yes. that's really important yeah. really important and, and that's very toxic like what the what are you even talking about their human yeah like, and exactly I, yeah and people very close to me without naming too many names um i mean uh, they i know i know someone whose family like literally fled a, a very bloody civil war to come to where they are right now and he so he's done a lot of activism uh, about you know immigrants and undocumented immigrants and stuff like that and he said that earlier he would use that line about profit just because at that point you're so desperate to you know convince authorities or or try and make a case for yourself that you use anything possible any statistic that you think will uh, allow your community to be humanized at least a little bit but he but he told me that he stopped using it because he said is that it's just it just becomes a statistics war and if at the end of the day they can't acknowledge the fact that you know people in need uh 
will need to be given what they need to survive and to get a leg up and if for that society has to slow down a little bit and people have to be inconvenienced then that's just the hard reality of it and we do pinky made a really important point i mean uh, i just want to emphasize on what she made because uh, about the rhetoric of immigration you know like so there there is the usual uh, i wouldn't say far right but the conservative rhetoric where immigrants are a drain on you know like the mm-hmm. welfare or refugees are a drain on the del- uh, drain on the welfare and so on and so forth so here is where i think the liberal talking points really fail because they keep saying that i have seen studies in uk where they show that you know the net uh, uh you know how much you spend on immigrants is uh, is is far less than how much they actually yield uh, because yeah. like you know yeah. like they are that's such probably, a terrible that's like justification absolutely terrible because like if if you are if your politics doesn't center around the fact that a human being is inherently worthy and a refugee you have to save a save a refugee's life or like you have to accept refugees just because you have to then you will always fail against the fascists they they can always produce numbers out of thin air i mean like if you are going to base your argument on uh, uh, saying that oh they can produce this amount of money wait until like climate change hits you this is really a nonsensical argument and you can never win it reminds and, me of the time that the there were these indians who said that they would help trump build his wall if he uh, expedited their uh, visa process and it's clearly yeah and it just shows that you know which is the group that is considering themselves worthy of being in another country so so what it comes down to is for me really heinous because it's like saying if you're already well off then pursuing greater success and greater sort of you know this upward mobility is somehow an acceptable and even uh you know praiseworthy goal but if you are absolutely vulnerable and fleeing then somehow pursuing like survival is not an admirable goal which is you know it that is basically fascist um, i think we have said all that could be said in the scope of one episode naturally this is a much more larger and complex topic uh does anybody have any summing up questions or thoughts I have a question for Comrade Jasmine based on something she said earlier, which is the and uh, Comrade Chandu also touched upon it when you talked about the different sort of sections that kind of sometimes encroach on each other's goals uh, because it's to say that yeah, all women are not friends, right? If you are the class oppressor, then then that is the fundamental uh, identity. And I, I've even seen this with often. um you know black women and black men sometimes uh feeling that they have more in common with each other rather than black women and white women so this is something that keeps coming up where what is the bigger gap and who is who are you more threatened by i think is a question but i guess one thing that people will have to grapple with based on their ideological leanings is uh if anybody believes that one ideology contains a greater promise for all groups rather than the other right because uh i think the the problem that some people have had is to say that uh do you foreground feminist first or do you foreground socialist first and then some people believe that if you are socialist or if you are leftist then the other problems will automatically be implicated and resolved through that whereas other people have said that the intersectional movement even started because there were these women who were who were leftist who were black women and they felt that somehow that that particular triangular identity was not being sufficiently addressed by the leftist movement they were in at that point of time which didn't stop them from being leftist they 
just felt that they needed to change the area of emphasis a little bit. But this keeps becoming a, a debate, right? That uh, is there one is there one ideology which is actually going to automatically liberate everybody, or do we have to do the sort of tedious hard work of stressing each one in equal measure? You know, the feminist for what it is, the leftist for what it is, etc. Yeah, you can't automatically fix the problem of uh, gender by becoming a socialist society you definitely cannot actually all the real work starts after you know that point is crossed after the revolution so to speak right, right. I, so it, it's not a question of what you foreground but it's a question of what you hide and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of feminist just purely feminist politics uh, that only looks at women as the you know category or whatever gender as the category uh, really hides all uh, root causes is what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. and so you cannot have feminism without socialism mm-hmm. and you cannot have socialism without feminism uh, but at this stage it's important to uh, I guess not be just a feminist I, I don't know what else to say there's something about the way that gender has become fashionable and sexy in neoliberal rhetoric that yeah, other things have not yeah wow. because it's comfortable right like it, it's really comfortable politics and if you think there is like you know easy acceptance of what you are saying i mean and by which i don't mean that uh, a ceo of some place is not listening to you uh, i just mean that people in general in your circles agree about some things very easily they say oh yeah you know women should not be molested yeah the funny thing is that their lives are no less easier but the affirmation has become a lot easier yeah yeah exactly yeah that's so true and and so if you know i also think that the within forget like you know the stage of socialism or whatever within left movements also the more broad-based they become and by broad-based i don't mean like broad left i mean like the more uh, the movement becomes a mass movement. Uh, the more you see these questions being grappled with and being answered also, mm-hmm. and uh, so if you ha- are having a mass movement, it obviously cannot be led by elites, and it is not. It obviously does not comprise of uh, uh, people from dominant, you know, genders or castes right. or whatever. And so these questions solve themselves in practice, and. Then that informs your theory about what we know that the Indian Communist Movement took some time to learn about what caste really is and how you should deal with it, and that's what happens. So you can't. There is no answer but mass movements, even for the questions of identity. Mm-hmm. The whole Sati movement started when it was figured out that uh, like the most brutal form of patriarchy that existed at that time it was because of property. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's so easy for people to gloss over this and just say that yeah. when men hate women, like misogyny right. is a thing. Yeah, but patriarchy is, and neither is it the patriarchy as a conspiracy that some people are running. It's a system based on material relations. <laughs> also, no, I would like, that I know we've garden. lost, we've lost the momentum, but since we were talking about labor, I do want to say that um, one of the things is that these these days like liberal discourse just works in a bizarre way because it's come to recognize certain materialist arguments but it's turned them into platitudes so also when we talk about material um, you know the women's women's movement and its connection to labor and and material issues uh, we talk about sex workers rights for example uh, the whole thing that people have been that sex workers have been saying is that sex work is work right and that's become 
a weird platitude because people say if you say sex work is work then that's fine and all you're doing by that is destigmatizing it but the fact that that statement as articulated by um sex workers movements and unions is it means let us inspect it and let us put it through the rigorous analysis that we would any labor like that hard work nobody actually wants to do yeah i just want to say so true to everything you've been saying today and i think this is why we need more women's representation <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay um that was an excellent episode everyone the very interesting points made uh to sum it all up um we have talked about sort of the vacuousness of the manual conversation and we have differentiated it with actual representation which happens in a systemic scale we have talked about a bit about the history of the mandal and how mandal affected movements after it we have talked about um, caste representation and going beyond caste representation we have talked about sort of the very neoliberal economism the use of money as an angle that ah uh, you should have diversity because it will create profit and why that is bad we have talked about um how how does a sort of a leftist movement foreground representation and why that is necessary and we know that there are way too many points and probably uh, much which have not covered um before logging off i wish to give our audience a bit of news um we have finally made a patreon and uh you can give us money and support our channel as we all live in a capitalist society we have established in today's episode and as we are trying to create this critical socialist space which sort of rigorously talks about difficult things in uh, which happen in india and indian politics uh, we would like our space to thrive and prosper we don't have any corporate funding nor do we except things like advertisements etc so we would be really grateful if you guys um, who enjoy our conversations help us materially the patreon is greater than the patriarchy <laughs> also i would like to emphasize that podcasts are like hanuman photos you have to send it to at least seven people and they have to send it to at least seven people so that you know <laughs> You and your family will be living prosperously, comrades and friends. Uh, and if you uh, don't, uh, great disasters will befall you. Absolutely, will be happening. I mean, like I will be coming to every podcast if you don't. Every single banana you ever buy will be either too ripe or too uh, unripe. Oh God, the horror! Like, oh, okay, okay, comrades. I think the audience has understood its point. Please, audience, do listen to us. do subscribe to us do follow to follow us and now do support us on our patreon thank you goodbye say bye bye yeah. bye